You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Ooh, welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson live with Shahan Jayaraja, national CBS college football writer, but today Baylor expert on the Big 12 tour. Shahan, how you doing? I'm doing great. I, I really want to know which one of you two was it who recorded that intro? Because, I mean, it sounds just like both of you. Yeah, it's the Sam Elliott uh, impersonation from Kyle. <laughs> no, I, I wish that was me. Um, and, Rob, you forgot an important accolade from Shahan's resume, oh, the I undisputed did. Big 12 Media Days Drip King. So we can't leave that out either. <laughs> well, I, I've been saying I feel like we need to consult with uh, with Baby Gronk. We need to consult with Libby Dunn. Uh, I, I don't know. Did enough people riz me up? I, I if you are not on the internet, you must think I sound like an insane person, and I promise you, I am. So yeah, I mean, I guess we'll start there. So, what is it like to be rizzed up by Joey McGuire and Steve Sarkeesian? Do you feel like they're just using you for clout? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, let me actually tell you the story a little bit of of where this whole sort of fashion thing came from, right? So back when I was a sophomore at Baylor University, I started working for the school newspaper. And, you know, I was like some 19-year-old kid. Nobody took me seriously. And we can be real, right? Like, I'm some dude who looks like this with a name like this. Like, I'm nobody, right? And so for me, I wanted to prove to people that I was a professional, that you needed to take me seriously. And so... From the time, really, I was a sophomore or junior in college, I would kind of overdress for these events. I'd show up and feel like, well, I'm kind of dressed a little better than everybody else. I look like a professional in the room. And uh, obviously, when you're 19, that looks like, well, you're wearing like, you know, chinos instead of jeans. And when you're 29, like I am now, it's, oh, well, you know, let's pull out the pink suit. Let's uh, have the the shirt that Steve Sarkeesian loves. And uh, you know what? It's like a brand at this point, and I love to embrace it. Well, I, I don't have any Baylor gear, but I did my best. I have green and gold. This is my Dallas Braden jersey uh, from the Oakland A's. And so this this is as much green and gold as I think I have in my wardrobe. But hopefully I pass muster here with you. No, I think I think it absolutely works. I, I guess I went kind of like a, a muted green. I, it was not intentional. I don't know. I, I'm I'm I'll wear anything as if especially if somebody pays me to do it. I'll, I'll absolutely wear anything. So advertisers hit up my uh, my DMs. I didn't plan it either, but I actually have green on as well. So. <laughs> Look at us. There, there we go. go. Look at that. Look at that synergy. Speaking of branding. Well, Rob, uh, where do you want to start? Let's start with uh, Baylor. We usually start, uh, well, you know, we've been starting with the coaching staff, and I think uh, maybe that's an important place to start. You have some new faces. Um, It's hard to be a coordinator for Dave Aranda, apparently, Uh, even if you're his longtime mentor. um, If you don't cut the muster, he will cut you. Um, And you have Dave Aranda, who has a Big 12 championship and two losing seasons. Where does he fit in the Big 12 in the hierarchy? No, it's such a good question because one thing I want people to understand, and some Baylor folks won't like to hear this, uh, you know, a lot of that roster in 2021 
was not built by Dave Aranda. A lot of it were leftover guys and upperclassmen from the Matt Rule era. A lot of them are transfers. And, you know, we haven't necessarily in some ways seen Dave Aranda have to build a team yet from the ground up. And 2022 was kind of his first opportunity to do so. And, you know, I don't think the the record was necessarily representative of the quality of the team last year, but I don't think that you could say that it was as good as the 12 and two team either. And so, you know, when I look at Dave Aranda and I guess you can kind of say the, the experiment of Dave Aranda through three seasons there are some clear pluses. I think he is, without a doubt, a, a, an unbelievable on-the-field football coach. He is a great game manager, I think we've seen so far through his first couple of seasons. Um, you know, some of the stuff that uh, that I love that Joey McGuire does, I think that some of that stuff is taken from Dave Randis, like the aggressiveness on fourth down, like the field positioning type stuff. Um, and so I think that Dave Randis done a fantastic job there. His defensive bona fides are uh, you, you can't doubt them in any sort of way. I mean, he is arguably the single best defensive coordinator in the entire country. And if he's not, he's top five. And I think where you do have to look is sort of this big picture. Well, and actually one more complimentary thing. I think that he has without a doubt done an unbelievable job of managing personalities and, you know, sort of developing on and off the field. And that's something that they talk about a lot at Baylor. Uh, I think it's one of the things that makes him such a good fit for Baylor. This is a program that I think when things go this kind of way, you want them to uh, to talk a lot and, and really mean a lot about developing people as people, of, of getting the right kind of people in the program. And I think he's done that at an incredibly high level. Now, when you look at the other side, like you said, I mean, they have made a coordinator change every single season that he's been at Baylor. And first, uh, you know, offensive coordinator change with uh, with Larry Fedora heading out, hiring Jeff Grimes, who's been a huge success. The next year, you, you let go, obviously. I, I guess last year they didn't necessarily make a coordinator change, but this year you lose Ron Roberts, who's immediately snatched up by, by Auburn. Obviously, people at Auburn didn't think that Ron Roberts was the primary issue with the kind of force defense. And they hired Matt Pallage away from Oregon. And Pallage was on Aranda's staff during the 2021 season doing uh, safeties and special teams, if I remember right. And so, look, he has to find a staff, I think, and a set of coordinators that fit well. I think he's done that on offense. Jeff Grimes is his guy. And even when Jeff Grimes leaves, I think there are two guys who are potentially waiting in the wings to take over there. Defensively, I don't think that's happened as yet. And that's, I think, a little bit of an indictment. Uh, the other part of it, too, is... You know, I, I don't want to by any means sound alarms about recruiting. I think that some of that talk's a little overrated, but it's been only okay. I, I think that they haven't necessarily been as good as they were late in the rule era, uh, certainly when you look back at some of the mid-2010s Baylor classes. And it comes at a time, I mean, you have to give this context, that Texas Tech is going crazy because they hired a Baylor assistant who was known for recruiting. And so... I would not consider it a warning sign by any means as yet. I don't think that they're not talented enough to win or anything like that, but you need to start having some wins. And last year they felt like they had it with a quarterback, Austin Novosad from Dripping Springs, who ultimately ended up flipping to go to Oregon. Well, now you got to find ways to replace that sort of stuff. So a little bit of a long winded answer, but there are clear pluses, there are clear minuses and the big thing I have to say about Dave Rander, though, too, is he has addressed his minuses in a significant way every single year they've had issues. And uh, we'll kind of have to wait to see if they can do it in 2023. 
Well, I think that sets the table really well for the conversation we're about to have. Um, how we've done these in the past, we usually start with the offensive skill, move to the offensive line, and then we'll talk defense. Um, offensive skill in terms of um, kind of this Dave Aranda trajectory at Baylor, uh, let's start at the quarterback position with Blake Shapin because last offseason he makes the decision to go with Shapin instead of Bohannon and makes that call early enough in the spring that allows Bohannon to transfer instead of keeping him on the roster in the fall. And I think one year into Blake Shapin as full-time starting quarterback, it might be fair to say that maybe they picked the wrong one. You could at least make the case. Um, if Shapin doesn't take the next step as a starter and you've got Sawyer Robertson waiting in the wings, a very experienced transfer from Northern Arizona, also kind of on the depth chart, uh, to me that would be a bad look for the offensive staff. if They picked the wrong quarterback two years in a row. But tell us a little bit about what you're hearing in terms of Blake, Shapin, Blake Shapin's development this offseason and maybe what we can expect from him this season with the Bears. No, no, it's a great question. And I will take you back to sort of the first part of that question. And that's the pick for 2022. You know, I, I do look back at that. And it's easy to say, you picked the wrong guy. You know, this guy wasn't a guy who performed the same level as Gary Bohannon did the year before. I think the context was also a lot different, right? Losing Tyquan Thornton at receiver as a second round pick to the New England Patriots. They, they didn't replace him and they couldn't replace him in so many ways. Uh, when I look at some of these issues, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the receivers in a second. I mean, his top receiver was a 5'8 speedster, right? Like this was not a good receiver group this past season. And yes, now he also was inconsistent. I think he needs to work on his footwork. I think he needs to grow as a passer. And, and uh, he also needs to maintain some of the improvements that he makes. You see these moments where he looks great and it doesn't carry over necessarily. So that's all fair and legitimate. Um, I don't necessarily know if Gary Bohannon stayed that it would have fixed what was wrong with Baylor last season. And uh, when I look into 2023, you know, look, Blake Shapin, for people who don't know, I mean, he was recruited more as a baseball player coming out of high school than he was a football player. He was a shortstop coming out of uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, I believe it was, and um, played for Baylor's baseball team for the first couple of years, was not necessarily seen as somebody who would have to come in and, and play maybe as early as he did in some ways, but they love his upside. You know, you see these moments and uh, you don't want to lean too much on non-conference play, but you see these moments where he just makes it look effortless. Uh, the first half of that West Virginia game before he suffered the concussion, he was destroying that team it looked like he was about to take uh just an unbelievable leap and after the concussion he was never quite the same player but you know i, I think that when you look at his context this season they added uh, another good tight end and jake roberts they're gonna have two or three this year who i think are gonna be big time pass catchers for them uh they added a big body and keetron jackson the transfer from arkansas as well and so i think a big part of this will be yes blake shapen has to take that step forward but Baylor's staff, I think, also recognizes we can't just ask this guy to turn into something that he's not. And we need to give him some tools and some pieces as well to, to ease the transition. So it's not just all on him. You speak about tools. Uh, Richard Reese, obviously, Big 12 freshman of the year is one of those. Monterey Baldwin, the speedster you referenced earlier. Who else along the skill group is going to get Baylor back to where they were the year before offensively? No, it, it, I like the question a lot. You know, Keetron Jackson, like I mentioned, just somebody who I think is going to be a big body for them, somebody who gives them a little bit of a different look. And two other guys that are kind of mix in with that possession type receiver uh, sort of deal. Hal Presley was a redshirt freshman last year who 
kind of had a lot put on him in some ways. And I think it'll help a lot that he only has to be one of a coalition. And Josh Cameron is somebody who was actually a preferred walk-on who start, who came in and, and made some big catches for them. And again, I think that you mix that with the dynamic play of some of these other receivers, like a Monterey Baldwin, that's going to help him out a lot. When I look at running back, they have, I think, a strong room. Richard Reese being at the top of that, I expect him to be a thousand yard rusher this year, especially with the way that they play offense. But they added uh, Dominic Richardson from Oklahoma State, who I think might fit the system just a little better than he did Oklahoma State's inside zone system. And Quaylen Jones is like a 6'2", 240 pounds, like bruiser at running back as well. He was their second leading rusher with over 500 yards last year. So look, Last year, I think in some ways they tried to go too dynamic. They wanted to be a real downfield team. And I think we'll see a little bit more of a balance this year. And that's what ultimately led to their 2021 Big 12 championship. I've got a follow-up on Richard Reese. And Rob probably knows where this is going. I don't know if you listened to our crossover episode with Evan A. Bear and the Bear Den pod. Um, I have a little bit of a theory about Richard Reese, and I want your thoughts on it because I may be way off base here. He has the accolades, freshman All-American. I'm looking at his game-by-game stats last year against Albany and Texas State, 6.9 yards per carry, 8.2 yards per carry. Great numbers, but not against the best competition. He plays BYU, plays a nine-game Big 12 schedule, and then Air Force in the bowl game. In none of those 11 games does he top six yards per carry, which six yards per carry is really good, but for a season-best game, I would maybe expect a little more than that. And that's running behind an offensive line that, as you know, had three six, 60-year seniors on it. Baylor's offensive line this year returns very little um, starting experience. Is it? Am I wrong to maybe have him on fraud alert watch? He's not on fraud alert yet, but he's like on fraud alert watch. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm going to add to this. You were at Big 12 Media Days when Aranda was talking about his initial kind of hesitance with the portal and if I take a guy from the portal, it means I'm telling a guy on my roster no. And so I know he doesn't take portal additions lightly. Why bring in a starter from another Big 12 school if Richard Reese is that dude? Kind of put my mind at, his, at ease here about Richard Reese. No, no, these are all great questions. Um, so to, to answer that first part last, or that last part first, I think that the players that he's saying no to are not Richard Reese. They're guys who are further down the depth chart who maybe they – expected to develop into different types of players. I mean, I'd look at some of the guys who are upperclassmen on this team who who were expected to maybe play bigger roles and haven't. So I don't think that that was a Richard Reese thing, certainly. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll tell you what, I, I... I will admit it's I'm on my phone right now because I've been having some internet issues. And so I can't look up all the game by game numbers. So, but, you know, what I'll say about Richard Reese is that I think the staff views him as a really dynamic, important player. And I also think that they don't think he can be an all-purpose complete running back. And I I mean, he's, he's what, 170 pounds? It is unbelievable what he was able to do in his first season. I remember when he committed to Baylor, he was kind of an off-the-radar type guy. Uh, when he committed to Baylor, he was a Twitter account with a name and bunch of numbers after him. Like he is not somebody who was, you know, a a five-star type guy, somebody who was known for a long time. And uh, what I think sticks out about him and what I think the staff liked is he has great balance. He has great leg drive. I think that he, you know, when you talk about running backs in this offense, 
I, I talked to Jeff Grimes about this a little while ago, and what he said is, we don't need somebody who's going to be this physical monster. We need somebody who's going to be fearless and is going to turn and hit the hole and drive and try to get a couple of yards and live to fight another down. Is Richard Reese a running back who, you know, I would have picked, I, I, I mean, I put him on my preseason all Big 12 first team, but like, you know, is he somebody who I'm going to guarantee is on the first team at the end of the year? No, absolutely not. I, I think though that if this offense works the way that it's supposed to, he should have to play a smaller role than, and you can mix in a Dominic Richardson and a Quaylen Jones. And this can be a real committee of running backs that all kind of run in different ways. And then it helps open up the passing game. I, th I think that Richard Reese, you know, when I look at his body profile, I think he would grow a lot if he was able to improve as a pass catcher as well out of the backfield. But, you know, I, I understand the trepidation. I, I do think that he, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I do believe that he had very effective games against a big 12 competition, even against stacked boxes, even against tight fronts. And, um, you know, again, is he is he going to be a six, seven yard back against everybody? I don't think so. I don't see him being an Abram Smith, who people might remember from 2021. But I think he's a very effective Big 12 running back and and one who I think is very important to this team. I like that answer. That makes a lot of sense. Um, he did have consecutive games against Kansas and Texas Tech where he toted the rock more than 30 times in each game. And it sounds like that is not the long term sustainable recipe. So. Yeah, maybe if he's 20 carries and Dominic Richardson is 15 or 20, that is kind of a perfect combo. So, yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense. I, I like that answer. Will it um, matter, though, with the offensive line who lost a lot of production? Yeah. No, and this is the first big test for Eric Mateo, that offensive line coach. And, by the way, Jeff Grimes, uh, for people who don't know, also a longtime offensive line coach. That's something that they love about their staff. They almost have two offensive line coaches on the staff. And people might remember a couple years ago uh, during the Matt Rule era, they were always a very good team and offensive line was never great. It was fine. They had some good talent, but they were running a lot of drop back and inside zone. And that was just not something that they had a whole lot of success doing. They've gotten players who fit what they want to do in a wide zone system in a much better way. And so we saw that, especially during the 2021 season, I mean, they were unbelievable on the offensive line going from 2020 to 2021. And in 2022, they managed to maintain it in a significant way that there were, again, some, some issues that weren't because of the offensive line that maybe they weren't performing to the same level as they were the year before. So this is like the first test. You have guys like Connor Galvin graduate out. I believe Khalil Keith, uh, you know, was here there last season, graduates out. Um, Jacob Gall, another player at center who graduates out. So they're going to have to grow up in a significant way. They did bring in two players, the Barrington brothers from BYU. Uh, they were both recruited and developed by both Jeff Grimes and Eric Mateos over at BYU. So they're players who have a lot of familiarity with the system. They're pretty excited too about some of these young guys that they have, you know, uh, Tate Williams is somebody who came from West Texas and like was seen as a steal whenever he committed to Baylor. I believe he played at Wall High School. And so, uh, you know, I look, this is the year, though. They kind of have to prove that this is going to be a machine for them. And it wasn't just a couple of great classes or a couple of guys who really fit their system. So I think it's a very legitimate concern. And if Baylor has another six and seven season, I think that this will be a big part of the reason why. But I will say as somebody who has obviously been around this team for 
well, a long time at this point, but has covered the staff obviously extensively over the last two or three years. I do believe that they are a really good offensive line staff and they're going to find ways to not necessarily have this be a huge strength, but it won't be a weakness either. Let's pivot to the defensive side of the ball. Um, you lose, well, I guess going back two years, that defense was absolutely loaded with guys like Jalen Petrie, all kinds of all-conference guys, NFL guys. And that was part of the big question mark last year was can they replace or to what extent can they replace that level of production? I don't think anyone expected they would replace it entirely. And I I guess there are kind of mixed opinions on how that went because at the end of the day, the defensive coordinator was let go and the season did end with a losing record but it also didn't feel like week in and week out Baylor's just getting torched by everybody. I mean, I, I thought they had a, a decent defense. Um, so, and then this year you lose guys like Siaki Ika on the defensive line, Dylan Doyle at the second level. Um, I'm not as familiar with the secondary just recently in the portal. Um, what's the kid's name that just transferred to tech? AJ uh, McCarty. McCarty. Yeah. I, I was going to say McCartney. I know that that didn't sound right. I had the Beatles on my mind, I guess. Um, but yeah, it seems like once again, maybe not to the same extent as after the 2021 season, but some question marks at different spots. So tell us about the defense in terms of the new defensive coordinator, the philosophy there, and maybe some personnel uh, that we need to keep an eye out for. Yeah, no worries. I'm getting his name wrong. I'll, I'll let it go. But uh, I think that, uh, I think that when I look at the defense, um, it was a unit that struggled a lot last year, and they especially struggled in the secondary. There was so much turnover at that uh, position group. You mentioned not knowing a whole lot of names. That's because there weren't a whole lot of names that you should have known based off of how they played last season. And, um, you know, the biggest place for them on Dave Aranda's defense is the position that they called the star, and that's where Jalen Petrie played. And it's somebody who it really depends on what kind of player uh, and that's kind of what decides where they play. So like uh, Jalen Petrie was somebody who could play at the line, could take on a lot of linebacker responsibilities. Uh, And then, you know, Grant Delpit was somebody who played the position for him on LSU's 2019 national championship team. He was much more of a coverage player. He was more of a third safety truly. And so Baylor, I don't feel like ever really figured out that position uh, Lorando Johnson was the guy who played there a whole lot and he was all right, you know, but, and he ended up transferring as well. So like they also pushed out a lot of guys who were projected to start and who started a lot of games last season. And when you hear Dave Aranda talk and Dave Aranda's never going to say anything bad about anyone, of course, but he kind of said, there are some guys that maybe played for us last season that I should have been more firm with that I maybe should have, uh, cut bait on in some different ways and you know again you never want to target a player or something like that but you know I think that there are a couple guys in that secondary who probably fit the bill there and um, the issue is for them I don't necessarily know that they have obvious guys to come in re- and replace them to me the secondary remains the biggest question mark on this team I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was last year but it's it's a real question and I think that another thing you have to point to is Dave Aranda brought in a new defensive coordinator in Matt Powledge, who specifically was a safeties coach, who had a defensive back background. And Matt Powledge played a major role in developing Jalen Petrie into what he was in this particular system. 
And uh, I think that they're going to really focus him on that star position and on those safety positions to try to get them in better places. When I look at the front seven, I think it's in pretty good shape. Uh, It's not an an elite, elite front seven necessarily, but I think they should be a lot better at the linebacker position. They brought in a transfer from Liberty named Mike Smith, who they're really, really excited about. And, um, you know, on the defensive line, so many of these guys are back that are fifth-year or sixth-year guys. I'm Siaki Ike not being one of them. But, um, you know, I, I think that they feel like they at least have enough bodies at those spots to be able to have that be a strength. And one thing that I heard from people, too, was, you know, Dylan Doyle is somebody who departed the program. He played middle linebacker for them admirably last, last year. But they kind of feel like he wasn't a great fit for middle linebacker in this defense because he's not a very fast player. You know, the funny thing is, uh, like, he's from Iowa. He's a Big Ten linebacker in a lot of ways. And so Mike Smith is somebody, you know, when you look at what Baylor did in 2021, think about Terrell Bernard at that inside linebacker position. They had him screaming off the edge. They had him rushing up the middle. That's something that's critical to how Dave Aranda coaches defense. Mike Smith, I think, is going to fit in a lot better there. So, I, look, a lot of questions, I think, still on this defense. But, you know, I, I think that you trust Dave Aranda and Matt Pallage a little bit more to figure some of this stuff out. I think we actually had Mike Smith as newcomer of the year on our preseason ballot, um, kind of knowing he was slotted. That was Rob's justification for the suggestion was he's going to play that spot that's going to get a lot of action and could be very productive. So um, certainly a name to watch there. Uh, I have a non-Baylor question for you. And it's a question about a question you asked at Media Days. Um, the situation at Iowa State is a big one. Yeah. And could be big early in the season. And from what we've heard, maybe the entire season here. Uh, what are your thoughts on that investigation, when it's going to wrap up, and a player you named Hunter Deckers, his involvement? Well, I mean, look, when the – investigation started there were truly no real rules from the ncaa on how to handle this it was essentially if you gamble then you're out and that was it since then the ncaa has passed new rules to kind of ease that a little bit there's sort of a a tier of punishments along the way so i think there's a much better chance that uh, a player like Hunter Deckers or, you know, Jairo Brock at running back is another player that's been kind of like rumored. And, and we don't, this is all rumor at this point. We don't really know because they won't necessarily tell us a whole lot at this point, which is of course why I asked. But, you know, I think that if you're Iowa State right now, like you just have to be a little pissy. You don't know anything. And this investigation, the, the thing that Matt Campbell said, and he was very gracious in his answer. I mean, he knew that this question was going to get asked, but um, he kind of said the blessing of this is that I don't have to be at the center of it. This is the school and this is the regulatory bodies that are handling this. But it also means that I have no information at this point. It, and if you're a coach and you're not sure if your quarterback is going to be playing a month before the season, I mean, I think you just have to assume, of course, that he's not. And if he comes back, that's great. But J.J. Cole is probably going to end up being the guy for Iowa State. Um, but, I mean, look, this is a program that has been so consistent over the last couple of years. And even the four and eight season aside, I mean, the amount of bowl games they made in a row and the competitiveness, even during their four and eight season, I think, was really impressive. So, I do not envy Matt Campbell right now. Uh, I I think that, you know, look, 
they're going to have to figure something out. I'll, I'll be curious too if this investigation extends, for example, into the season or after the season, for example, if this is something that they try to push out of the way in some ways. But there's no real comparison for what's happened here anywhere else. And it's going to set, I think, a precedent long term for how these investigations are handled because look at the NFL. This isn't going away. I I think I turned to Rob when you asked that question and like kind of had my eyebrows raised. Just it was, I, it, I, Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you were that was actually the first question asked of Matt Campbell. So like it we was. cut right to the heart there. No fluff about like how did spring ball go or anything like that. Um, just because I didn't know like how much of that was rumor versus had already been asked of him. And so uh, that was, yeah, like straight for the jugular. I, I love that. Um, so we are a kind of sports betting adjacent podcast. And so the last question we give all of our guests on the Big 12 road trip here is kind of the over-under on the season win total for the team that we're covering. Baylor is at seven and a half. I think you've already kind of released a, a season prediction for the entire Big 12. And Baylor has an interesting schedule, eight home games. Um, no Oklahoma. That's kind of what everybody looks at this year is like, do you have one of or both of Texas and Oklahoma? You get Texas at home. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just for me, it's tough to make heads or tails, but I could see a two and three start. I could see a four and one or maybe even five and oh start if they beat Texas. Um, where are you on that seven and a half number as of today in mid July? Well, I'm glad that I made the prediction back when the number was six and a half because seven and a half is a perfect number. That is exactly the line that I think that they're going to be walking. Uh, when I did my game-by-game game predictions, with ob- which obviously everybody was very happy with and no one had any thoughts about, uh, I picked them to win eight, but it was like, it was a tenuous eight, right? I-, I had them going on the road and beating TCU, which is something that they haven't done under Dave Aranda. I had them losing to Utah in week two, which I really don't know what to expect from Utah that early in the year. They haven't started seasons very well historically. And I mean, last year, of course, they lose at Florida and Florida is the worst team to me than what Baylor will be this year. Now, you know, we'll see if they kind of settle things down a little bit to start the year. It's a weird year. And I'll tell you what, also going through and picking every single game, it was so bizarre to not just see everybody on everybody's schedule. This is the first year that that's been the case uh, back since 2011. So I have them right at eight, but like truly seven and a half is a perfect number. I think that if they get to seven, they should feel okay about where they're at. I think if they get to eight, they should feel pretty good. But in some ways, and I, I tried to avoid making anything a giant reflection of anything because the sport's too random. But this, I think, has to be a year where Baylor sets its new floor, where, where it sets what should be an average season under Dave Aranda. And I think that if you asked that question last year, people would have said, well, they should be competing for nine or 10 every single year. Well, we just saw that's not going to be the case. I think the Big 12, while they're losing the two superpowers, it's going to get tougher uh, and I, I truly mean this, like Texas Tech being relevant, I think is going to be very difficult for Baylor because I don't think that we have a really good example of all of the Texas schools being good at the same time. Now, maybe that happens. Uh, maybe Houston just falls behind everybody else and it doesn't matter. I, I don't know the answer. But over the last decade, Baylor and TCU have owned the state over Texas, over Texas Tech, over Houston, over SMU. It will be very important, I think, to have early success during a year like 2023 and in the first year of the new Big 12 in 2024 
just to set the expectation and send the message out to recruits and fans and everyone else that we still are a relevant program that expects to compete for the Big 12. It's an interesting point that uh, Texas Tech and Baylor haven't been good at the same time because it's so true and it's painful because it's been Baylor for so long. And we're in the- <laughs> no, and, and one point that I want to make is like, look at look at the last 10 to 15 years, right? Because in the late 2000s, in the early 2010s, like Texas Tech was kind of rolling and then realignment happens and they get off to a bad start in some ways and never recover. And Texas A&M, kind of the flip side happens. They have like this mediocre decade and then Johnny Manziel happens and all of a sudden people are like, well, this is what's supposed to happen. I think that you set your expectations in a lot of ways with what happens early in a conference tenure. And so this will be a really critical year. I, you know, one thing that, I mean, it's one of these days I have to write like the giant article about it, but like TCU entering the conference and staking a claim in West Texas in a lot of ways is hugely impactful. It says, you know, basically everything that Texas Tech could sell, TCU says, well, we can sell it and sell it better because you can stay in the Metroplex, right? That's that's kind of what the pitch was to Dallas kids. And so uh, anyway, this is, this is all getting a little bit beside the point, but I think that having that success early, if you're Baylor, is really important. And um, I, I will be extremely interested to watch that battle between the four Texas schools in the Big 12, along with the two others uh, in the SEC, along with, by the way, SMU, who's truly competing right now for, uh, at a playoff level in the group of five, along with UTSA moving up. So it's this is, I think, as uh, intriguing a time to be following the state of Texas college football as there really has almost ever been. So It's absolutely a zero-sum game, and like Rob said, at Texas Tech especially, well, I guess probably Texas fans feel more so this way, but like Mike Leach is fired in December of 2009, and in the 13 years since then, Oklahoma State, TCU, and Baylor pretty much all at the same time have their best stretches in program history, like New Year's Six Bowls, BCS Bowls, Conference Championships, Heisman Trophies, and meanwhile, we're like, you know, if we make a bowl game, we're all jazzed up in Lubbock. So, yeah, it's hard to see with – with now Houston being elevated to power five and you've got what's that six total power five schools in Texas and then Oklahoma state kind of recruiting right in the backyard with everybody else. It's impossible for everybody to be good at the same time. And um, so after kind of the Colt McCoy era and the Mike Leach era, Texas and Texas tech fell off and the other programs really soared to new heights. And so I hope as a fan that, you know, our time is coming back around with Joey McGuire and, Unfortunately for other fan base, that it has to come at the expense of somebody uh, if history is any indication. No, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, I'll be watching very closely. And and look, I mean, a big part of this is also just what coach do you have in place at a certain time? And can he win those margins? And certainly I trust Joey McGuire to do it. But I'll tell you what, I trust Sonny Dykes, Dave Aranda, uh, you know, a lot of these other coaches who are going to be involved in these programs to do it as well. And I, I do think that almost you have to count Oklahoma State and Oklahoma and Arkansas even as Texas programs as well. So it, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a fight. I'm curious how the dynamic of the SEC truly being in Texas either helps or hurts. I, I don't really know at this point. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's been quite a decade to to follow Texas college football, and I think the next one will be even better. I noticed you didn't mention uh, Dana Holgerson there as a trustworthy. <laughs> Come um, on, you can't, you, you, 
you, you can't uh, you can't go after your boy like that. Your seven year Texas Tech assistant. No, I I think he is. Uh, that is such an interesting situation to watch. I I think that we know what he can do. We know that he can win in the Big Twelve. I mean, he did it for a long time. I feel like West Virginia fans like stepped out of a time capsule and were like, "Oh, that never happened." No, that happened, man. They won ten games multiple times, and so I I'm not ever writing him off for dead because you uh, you can't kill Dana Holgerson, but it they're they're gonna have to be more consistent as a program when they're competing against these other schools that are just putting unbelievable resource and organization and have this this unbelievable leadership in their organizations and these great coaches and these great athletic directors it's it's gonna be a battle man it's gonna be a battle art where can the people find you uh, follow along read your work yeah you can follow me on twitter at shahan j raja i guess now i'm on threads and blue sky and i don't know instagram i'm on everything i don't really know how to use anything right except for twitter but uh you can find me on all of those places and you can find all my work at cbsports.com all right appreciate your time thanks so much thanks for having me all right that was uh shahan jayaraja uh brilliant brilliant guy i i always enjoy his work uh his interviews and everything else um, you know what else I always enjoy, Kyle? What's that, Rob? Rahino Barbecue and Market, now Olton, Texas. Did you hear the good news? Give it to me. We've got an opening day. They're back on July 21st. The market will open on July 26th. 609 7th Street, Olton, Texas. The family and team are ready and back to serve, and I am so excited. Love that. I was, I guess, a little worse because I had no idea on the timeline. I was like, man, I hope they're ready by football season. So the fact that it's this month is awesome. July 21st, again, serving barbecue. July 26th, the market opens. So we'll have to go down there for that. Absolutely. All right, where do you want to go next here, Kyle? Well, I just thought of this because I, I think I see this in the background of your uh, Zoom picture there. Maybe a Lubbock Matadors hat bittersweet ending to the season that they lose in the Lone Star Conference championship game or Lone Star division, but they won the regular season title of all the different divisions across the NPSL. They were third out of, I think, 92 squads this year in terms of total points accumulated and just broke attendance record after attendance record after attendance record. I think I saw if they moved up two entire levels in pro soccer, they still would have beaten the average attendance uh, they're kind of at like the fourth level right now. If they moved all the way up to the second level, like right under MLS, still would have beaten the median attendance for home games. So incredible run this season. They made us really proud uh, being able to watch them. They, I think they lost two games the entire season, including this one here in the playoffs. So just tons of momentum around that team. Last year they were this close to making the playoffs. It's one of those things like had we gotten hot a little bit earlier in the season, we would have made it and made it without a doubt this year. So, um, what a success story two years into the Lubbock Matadors and uh, giving the hometown crowd in Lubbock a lot to cheer for. Yeah, really fun to be such a small part of it, doing the coaches show and, and being in the mix every week. And again, two games don't go your way, but, you know, 11 do. That's a really, really good season for the Matadors. You even you win 12, really, because one got knocked off. But 
win a playoff game, host two playoff games, 5,800 people showed up for that last one. You're getting about three last year. So really big jump. You'll break that 6,000 mark next year. That wasn't planned, but I, like I said, I thought I saw a Lovick Matadors logo back there somewhere and it's wanted to make rock. sure. To, yeah. It's the rock. Okay. Yeah, but you nailed it. Uh, that's what I saw, and it at least uh, triggered my brain there. So what do you want to talk about? Uh, there was some interesting news coming out this week. Um, you know, I just said that sentence, and it totally escaped what it was. You uh, Hold on. You want me to tie up? What was it? Th- yeah, tie something up. I was going to tie up a few loose ends from Big 12 Media Days that we didn't somehow didn't get to in 101 minutes last episode. Um, where to start here? Okay, first off, Cincinnati's mascot is really, really tall, and he's also funny. Like He's eight feet tall. Yeah, he, I think he's like sitting on something with his shoes, like his fake claws, and his head is like super tall. Um. So anyway, I'm I'm not a big like mascot guy because it's weird because they can't talk. And so he was like walking over to us when we were in line for the buffet at lunch. And my mind is kind of like, okay, just like ignore him. He'll go away. And you and Joe Goodman like said something to him and like made sure that he stopped. I was like, oh, great. Uh, we took a picture with him. He laughed at my Skyline Chili joke and then I thought it was over. He's just kind of like hovering beside me and behind me. I was like, it's like, dude, okay, like we took a picture. You can go now. He's getting in line for food behind me, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. And uh Scott's gotta eat, man. Yeah, I guess so. That makes sense. It's, so like I grab my plate, you know, it's like a stack of plastic plates and I'm starting to eyeball the salad and notice behind me he's like struggling with it because he's got these huge claws, you know, mittens on. I was like, Do you need some help? And he just nods his big mascot head. I was like, Okay, I got you. Gave him a plate, and, like right as that was happening, a Cincinnati staffer came over. She was like, just point to what you want and I'll put it on the plate. And he was so anyway, Cincinnati's mascot was hilarious. It kind of endeared me to the Bearcats a little bit there. Um, on the football side of things, I forgot to mention this from Joey's breakout press conference, but he was asked a question about Cameron Valdez. The, he was a freshman running back last year, missed a huge chunk due to injury, but certainly flashed. People might remember in the bowl game, he had what was going to be a breakaway touchdown run, and then like right at the one-yard line, an Ole Miss defender punched the ball out but you, you saw glimpses of the explosiveness. And I thought this was interesting because before he answered the question, Joey like very enthusiastically thanked the reporter for asking him about Cameron Valdez. And he was just like dripping with excitement about him. And he said, you know, that was one of the elements of our offense that we were missing last year. Like we could move the ball, but we didn't really have a ton of explosive plays and just big time playmakers and he said that Valdez is that kind of guy, that he's a home run hitter, which, again, we saw in limited time last year. And obviously Joey is not ever really trying to temper expectations when he's confident about something, but he was really talking him up, and that was good to hear. I mean, it tracks with what we saw last year, and absolutely that was one element of your offense that was sorely missing. Uh, whether it's running backs or receivers, I've kind of made a point as I've been re-watching all the games from last year something you were really, really bad at as an offense was the running back screen game. And that's something that offenses go to a lot on third and six, third and seven. It's an obvious passing down. You get the blitz. If you can effectively block a running back screen, you can convert a lot of third downs. And we sucked at it just flat out. 
So whether it's a, a screen pass to Valdez or lining him up in the slot or getting him a jet sweep, something like that, they've got to get him involved, and we need a home run hitter like him. So it was cool to see Joey so energetic about him. And you just weren't very explosive, period. Like there weren't a lot of there, – there. you were a good offense, but that kind of explosive play, 30, 40, 50, 60 yards down the field, you just didn't have a lot of. You had some of, but you didn't do it consistently. So maybe he's one of the guys that can break a couple runs and make a difference. Yeah, I think so. And another note I had, I need to issue a correction when Western Kentucky offensive lineman – Rusty Stats transferred to Texas Tech. I'd heard that pronounced Stotts. And so I just went with it. There's two A's there. So I thought, okay, maybe it's Stotts. But Joey called him Rusty Stats. And so I, I, I'm i sure Joey knows better than just about anyone how it's pronounced. So I guess we'll call him Rusty Stats from now on instead of Stotts. Somebody commented that he it rhymes with snaps. Which I saw that, but I was like, if it's Stats, why wouldn't they just use the word Stats? Yeah. So I was like, well, I wonder that what was the... odd, that was an odd way to say it is what I was trying to get at there. Yeah. But so anyway, Rusty Stats, still a guy I'm really high on. think he's a, a great addition at center, but want to make sure we pronounce his name right. You ever play the game Snaps? Uh, remind me. Snaps is the is. name of the game. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. You got a north. And then you do the whole thing. Maybe I don't remember. Well, it's hard to do with just two people. You need a third. But we'll do it next time. It's a road. road. (laughs) You'll love it. I tweeted this, but Cole Spencer, Rusty Stats' former teammate of Western Kentucky, Joey said he clean snatched 386 or 396, it doesn't really matter, pounds, the, the day of Big 12 Media Days. And somebody on Twitter was like, well, I thought a clean was just to your chest and a snatch is over your head. Like, yeah, clean snatch. So basically 400 pounds. He's pulling that from the ground up above his head. That's insane. But it gives me confidence that he can move around a guy who weighs 285 across the line from him. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, two bright spots on the offensive line that weren't there last year. One dude injury, one because he played at Western Kentucky. But excited for both of them and getting more and more excited for that unit as a whole. I remembered what I was trying to say. Shoot. Kirby Hocutt saying that Texas is still scared to play them. Did you yep. like that line? It, it, now, the reporter that uh, tweeted out said half-joking. I'm sure it was in jest, but still, a word is a word, especially in the written form. Um, and I, I know Kirby to be a man who chooses his words carefully, putting the onus on them. Now, we talked about Mike Gundy saying, it's not our fault. It's say hey, it's them. They if they don't want to play us, they don't want to play us. Kirby's doing the same thing. I have, I guess, conflicting thoughts about it. Um, I don't mind playing Texas or A and M in the non-conference. Um, I mean, kind of. I, I I don't like playing those schools because their fan bases use the game as a as an opportunity and a platform to just slander Texas Tech and Lubbock. So I, I don't like that. And I, I could do without it. Like if you never played them again, that's fine with me. Um, what I really don't want to do is like publicly beg them to play you. Um, so yeah, I, 
maybe I just perceive it this way as a fan who's familiar with Hokut's comments, but it seems to me like this is the third time this has come up publicly. And if they're not going to play, you just let it go. Like, I mean, I guess we can call them scared or whatever if we want, if we think that's beneficial PR wise, but you're in year two of a new head coach. You're in year one of a new conference. And then you're really going to turn the page on the new big 12 next year when Texas and Oklahoma leave. I would much rather look forward to an era where I think we all hope and expect that Joey McGuire is going to have us competing for Big 12 championships, and with that would come a berth in the college football playoff. I don't think it's really healthy for the athletics department to have some sort of fixation with a certain non-conference game when those are kind of the new goals and the new vision that is very attainable in the new Big 12. So I basically – I don't care either way. I could take it or leave it. I just don't want a big fuss made out of it. Like, um, like, yes, is playing Texas at the Jones going to draw a more energetic crowd and more people than UCF? Yes, but beating UCF is a big 12 game that gets you one step closer to the goals that really matter. Like if you beat Texas and go six and six, okay. But like if you beat UCF on the way to a big 12 title, I mean, give me that season 10 times out of 10. So th- that's kind of where I'm at on it. I, I don't think Kirby said anything like egregious there, but I don't want to do this every six months or especially after they're gone. And like, if we haven't played them in two or three years and be like, Hey, well, Texas still won't come back and play. Well, okay. N- neither did a and for the last decade. And it didn't go well for you as a football program during that decade, but not because you weren't playing A&M and it can go perfectly fine for you as a program while you're not playing Texas or A&M. So I, I just don't want to make a big deal out of it either way. It's kind of my position. Nathan says, it's so cringe. I wish they wouldn't say that. Stevens says, I'd rather play the Ags than the Horns. Yeah, I would too. I'm a big play who's on your schedule guy, and they're not on the schedule. And if your non-conference remains, they're not going to be on the schedule till 2032. So there's going to be a gap. You have to like physically remove teams from your schedule to get Texas back on there. Um. I here's the point from Alan that I was just about to get to. Hokut has the same answer each time he's asked. Painting Texas as cowards is a win-win. I understand it. And you referenced the PR move, Kyle. That is the PR move to say to to take the uh the onus off you and put it onto them. Fine. That's a that's one way to do it. Or you could just say, yeah. If it happens, it happens, but we're not worried about it because that's the PR I want. I want – we're focused on what we can focus on. We're focused on winning Big 12 championships. We're focused on getting to the playoffs, and none of those goals involve Texas because we're Texas Tech and we can do it our damn selves. Yeah, I think that's you, – You've piggybacked off Texas for far too long, and I it just feels like you're still doing it. Well, and some of our fans have that same mindset. Like I'm a not lot, trying to – A lot of fans. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on the fan base that I'm a part of and that I love dearly, but – People will outright tell you on Twitter or on Red Raider Sports that, you know, they care less about the Big 12 schedule because OU isn't on it. Like, okay. I mean, I was at the 2018 game when I think number three OU and Kyler Murray was going to win the Heisman that year. They came to the Jones and it was fuller than it was for the other games. Like, okay, great. And they beat you and you went five and seven or whatever. And the coach got, who cares? That's not a good season. But if you go 10 and two and win the Big 12 and are playing in a 12 team playoff, like that instantly becomes one of the top five most memorable seasons in school history. Who cares if you played Texas or not on the way? 
And so I think that's the ultimate checkmate is like, let Texas go to the SEC. Don't play them in the non-conference. If they go seven and five or eight and four and you go 10 and two and make the playoff uh, because you're one of the top three teams in the new big 12, who cares if you played Texas that season and they can sit at home or play in the Alamo bowl or something while you're in the playoff and go, oh, well, like we're too good to play Texas tech. Okay. Well we're in the playoff and y'all aren't. So who cares if we played back in early September? Yeah. Or if you go eight and four and are competitive in the big 12 and are a game or two away from the big 12 championship, who cares if you play Texas in the non-con still, you don't have to be in the playoff to say, Oh, well, Texas doesn't matter. It's, Texas doesn't matter, period. And I get what Kirby is doing. I do. And in some ways, I appreciate the the audacity to say stuff like that. But to me, it's kind of empty unless there are real conversations being had. And it doesn't seem like there are. Yeah, I mean, like if your girlfriend dumps you, you can either spend the next year trying to prove how great your life is on Instagram or you can just go get a new girlfriend. And like actually be happy with your life. Yeah. And that's kind of the opportunity ahead of us. Like we have a whole new dating pool in the new big 12. And if we achieve what we all think Joey McGuire can achieve as a head coach, why do we care what Texas or A&M thinks about us or the non-conference schedule? You can use the non-con now as an opportunity to play schools like Oregon that offers fans an experience that they wouldn't otherwise have like, I'm not saying this is better than playing A&M or Texas per se, but Oregon coming to the Jones as, as a top 15 school is pretty cool. I know fans are excited to go to Eugene. So make the non-con more of like, a, let's let's play teams that we historically haven't. And um, I don't know, it's a, it's a different approach. It's new to some fans. But yeah, basically, I, I'm repeating myself, but I just don't want to fixate on Texas when they're no longer in your conference. You're not going to play them anyway. And none of your goals as a program really involve them anymore. Agreed. I mean, I, I just think it's a little ridiculous at this point. The only thing I will say is that if you've put pen to paper somewhere and there's a contract, then Texas Tech needs to call Barnett, Howard, and Williams ASAP and enforce the contract. BHWLawFirm.com. The best law firm in the state of Texas, as proclaimed by the Gambling Gauchos. They're based in Fort Worth, but they handle cases all across the Lone Star State. Uh, catastrophic injury, Title IX student litigation, criminal defense, you name it. They hope you never need them, but they're in your corner if you do. Three double Texas Tech grads, you can learn more at bhwlawfirm.com. And Rob, I'll say again, if you want to include in Joey McGuire's contract that – I think this is genius, especially if the Big Ten and the SEC quit playing the other Power Five conferences as some sort of show of like, well, there's no benefit to us as Penn State because if we lose to an ACC team, then whatever. And if we beat them, who cares? We still have to go in the Big Ten. Right. Make Joey McGuire tell you that if he chooses to leave for another school while under contract, that school has to play you home and home for two decades. Ten in Lubbock, ten wherever they are. Because he's not going to go – if he's having tremendous success here, he's not going to go to a Arizona State. Like, he's going to go to a big-time SEC or Big Ten job. Say, okay, Joe, if you want to go to LSU, then LSU is coming to the Jones 10 times over the next 20 years. We'll be there. And use that to build your non-con. I, I think that is a perfect, beautiful contract stipulation. And there's precedent there. Um, I think Chris Peterson, when he left Boise State – Boise State, you know, always kind of had trouble scheduling power fives and they wanted to beef up their strength of schedule as much as they could. 
And that's how they got to play Washington when, when Peterson left there. It wasn't for 20 years. I think it was just like a home and home, but put that in there. Like Joey won't mind signing. If he was real when he said, I'll die at Texas Tech, then he doesn't care what it says about his next job. And if he wasn't real, then you've got a marquee non-conference game for the next 20 years. Uh, Buffalo Godzilla says, I think a lot of us who don't live in Lubbock anymore from the Austin, San Antonio, Houston, and the Valley are really going to miss that. You'll have to figure out new ways to come to Lubbock or go to Houston games. Like if, if, if you're missing the Austin game, I understand that. But again, that's not Texas Tech's main concern is to appease Tech fans in Austin. And maybe you, can, maybe you play uh, somebody else around there. But you, you, if you want to watch Texas Tech play football because you like Texas Tech, come to Texas Tech games. I mean, that's just the basicness of it. Exactly right. If our fans can only get up for playing Texas or A&M and they can't get up for winning the Big 12, going to the playoff, then. What's your prenup look like? <laughs> that's what Kelly says. I don't need one. <laughs> All right. Uh, the basketball tournament's coming up. You excited? For a split second there, I was like, which basketball tournament? But the basketball tournament. The basketball tournament, y'all. Um, Our roster looks stacked. I mean, just about any guy – and I, there's a longer list, but within the confines of all those guys that we wish we could have seen in Lubbock one more time are coming back. So, I I think it looks – I, mean, I haven't looked real hard at the other team's rosters, but I think they'll be pretty good. I don't. We haven't been terribly competitive in this in years past, but – and they've got Mooney, they've got Tariq Owens, they've got all kinds of dudes. So it yeah, should be fun. Todrick Gocher. Um, the Wednesday schedule starting at 1 p.m., the Bleed Green versus Rise and Grind, then HBC United versus In the Lab, then the Enchantment, the New Mexico squad versus Austin Zone, then your Air Raiders at 8 p.m. tentatively versus the Purple Hearts. The winner of game three will play the winner of game four on Friday at 8 p.m. So the winner of your game versus the winner of the Texas game will play on Friday. I'm excited. I'll be there for the uh, Wednesday game. Might go for both of them. If I could swing it. Both game three and four. Moving on. Yeah, we got a question from a Twitter follower about what the Big 12 basketball schedule would look like next year. And I think Mark Finkner told us when we interviewed him for the Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash gambling gouches, $5 a month. Do you remember what he hinted at? Yeah, there's a, a combination of playing, was it 10 schools home and home? And then a selection beyond that? No, that oh, would be that'd 20. Games. That'd, be way, that'd be way more than that. I think it was like four yeah. home and home. Maybe six home and home. So four home and home would be eight. And then if you played everybody else, that would be nine more. That'd be 17 conference games. Maybe that's what it was. I think it's something like that. And I, I don't think he told us who your four were going to be, but it was kind of among the list that you would expect. It, it'd be like your in-state or Oklahoma State type. So I don't know if it'll be Houston, TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Texas. Probably four of those you'll get home and home. 
but I think it's still a full round robin at least one game. But obviously, you won't get everyone in Lubbock like you have in years past. Um, the, again, I'm, we're both going from memory there. He laid it out for us in the Patreon episode. So if you're really curious, uh, you can give us $5 a month and join the Discord, get access to all those interviews, and a portion would go to the Matador Club. Rob, what I've been crying about for several years, cue the John Mayer, was scheduled literally anybody in the non-conference that isn't net 318 in Lubbock. I don't care if they're good, but just not an absolute anchor on your net ranking at the end of the year. Somebody was listening, or more likely they coincidentally just did this anyway, but at the Dickies Arena in Fort Worth, you will play Vanderbilt. Is Vanderbilt good every year? No. Are they going to be net 300? Also no. This should probably be quad two, quad three at worst, I would think. And that's fine. If all the non-conference games were quad three, that would be great. But you just can't keep playing eight quad four games in Lubbock and expect that to be a recipe for if you're on the bubble or if you're fighting for a, a one seed instead of a two or three, you're never going to get the benefit of the doubt there. I hope this is not just a one-off and it's more indicative of where non-conference scheduling is going for that program because this is exactly the kind of game that you need. Well, if you look at the non-con for Grant McCasland at North Texas, it is a much more robust non-con than what you've had at Texas Tech. Uh, obviously, the guy who's been scheduling for Texas Tech is not here anymore, so you have some brand-new um, people in charge of scheduling. So I do think it's going to be indicative, as you say. I hope so, because, I mean, you get – I guess most years you had one kind of tournament, whether that was Maui or something, and you had the Big East Challenge, the SEC Challenge. And other than those, it was literally nothing but quad four games in Lubbock against teams nobody cared about. And I'm, I am I would love to play those games on campus, but if you can't get Vandy to agree to home and home, play them in Fort Worth, that's fine. You have an alumni base there that wants to see you play – soon as that was announced, we had folks um, in our Discord channel talking about renting out a section at the Dickies Arena. So do that more often. Nobody wants to go watch some school they've never heard of in Lubbock the week of finals uh, to watch you beat them by 30 points. And it doesn't do you any good preparing for Big 12 play. It doesn't do you any good building your resume. So I hope you're right that it's indicative and we get more things like neutral cybers, Vandy, yeah, and again, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be marquee. Play Tulsa. Yeah, play them in San Antonio for Buffalo Godzilla. Yeah, play UTSA. I don't play Texas State. Uh, play somebody that is not likely to be net three hundred or worse at the end of the year, because that has been like three quarters of your non-conference schedule for the last several years, and it it just doesn't do you any good. It's why your best teams in school history are a three seed, even when you win the Big Twelve, which is touted as the greatest. Con- the Big 12 winner should be a one seed, like period, end of story. Yeah. And you won it and you were a three seed. Which, you know, it didn't matter. You got all the way to the championship game, but still. Is what it is. All right, you ready for a mailbag? Yeah, hit me with it. You've got mail. Mail time. Found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? 
The Diversified Lenders Mailbag brought to you by Diversified Lenders. Turn your accounts receivable into cash. You ready? Yeah, th that was a little long. No, it was good. Okay. It was, fine. It was like 30 seconds. We, we can post the people on that. I enjoyed making it. It might have been long. Would you be willing to already start mortgaging Texas Rangers future to acquire help for a World Series run in 2023, i.e. giving up top prospects for talent for this run? Or he gives a – or do you want to leave it as it is and just play this year out? I'll, I'll defer to you as the actual Rangers fan. You're not going to say hashtag my Rangers? I mean, they are my Rangers, and I want us to win the World Series, but I think you know better than I do. I want to go at least another year uh, with this squad, unless it's Shohei Otani. Like if you're oh, yeah. Burning, if you're burning the ships for Shohei, yeah, you're burning the ships. But if it's, I don't know, Andrew McCutcheon and a starter and a reliever all from Pittsburgh, or if it's another, if it's Jordan Hicks, uh, you're not giving up top prospects for a guy who throws 100 just for this year. But if it's Shohei, yeah. I mean, Shohei, you're giving everyone away. But I'm not a, I'm not a prospect hoarder. I, I want to be successful at the major league level. And if that means giving away prospects for it, then that means giving away prospects for it. Can I ask you a real question? Yeah. Will you give me a 100% honest answer right here live in front of everybody? I always do, Con. Would you trade for Shohei Otani if Josh Young was part of the trade package? Yes. <laughs> I don't think he would be, but Shohei Otani is an absolute freak. I'm well, I mean, Rangers fan. the Angels are going to want something in return for Shohei Otani. So to just dismiss, oh, I don't think the best third baseman in the AL the rookie of the year is. The question was prospects. No, I asked you directly. If Josh Young was part of it, would you trade for Shohei Otani? Yes. Okay. If there was a guarantee he would resign in Texas, I wouldn't do it for a rental. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. But yeah, yes. So you'll just throw our beloved Red Raiders under the bus if it means something good for your Rangers. Josh Young can go be the greatest Red Raider of all time in Los Angeles, and I would still root for him. I'm going to root for him wherever he is. He doesn't have to be a part of our Rangers. Uh, next question. When is the first annual Gambling Gauchos charity golf scramble? Stay tuned. Okay. Uh, more difficult non-con opponent, 2022 NC State or 2023 Oregon? This is easy for me, Rob. You were a 14-point uh, dog against NC State on the road. You, I think at most will be a three-point dog at home, so – NC State was much, much harder road to hoe. I think road home is the main difference there. If you're playing in Eugene this year, I might go Eugene. But I think you're better this year. And I think Oregon is going to be in Lubbock. And that that's the difference. I don't think I know. Uh, why are Kansas fans so confident after winning one of their last eight games last year and losing five of those by double digits? For the same reason that you Texas Tech fans were excited about 2016 Texas Tech, they went five and seven because you had an incredibly dynamic and electric offense and you thought that you would take the natural progression defensively to be a competitive team. I think that's exactly what Kansas is. They're 2015 through 2016, 2017 Texas Tech.
I don't think they're contenders. I think they have a good enough offense to beat anybody, bad enough defense to lose to almost anybody at the FBS level. Prime. Prime Texas Tech there. Uh, which are you eating, Lincoln Riley's tuna or Lincoln Riley's brisket? It's not a euphemism. Man, I don't like tuna per se, but that was definitely the better cook. Like that brisket looked, yeah, it makes makes me thirsty just looking at it. Honestly, if you're doing a chopped brisket sandwich out of it and dousing it with sauce, I think it'd be fine. But uh, I'd go tuna. For sure. Uh, start bench cut Lincoln's brisket, John Cornyn's brisket, and the brisket from that Brooklyn barbecue tweet. I don't remember John Cornyn's brisket. You might, Kyle. Um, do you remember John Cornyn's brisket? I don't. Uh, we'll just start Lincoln for old time's sake and then uh, bench the Brooklyn barbecue tweet, which was very sparse. And then uh, I'm cutting John Cornyn just on principle. I'm cutting Lincoln Riley. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine John Cornyn's being worse than that. Uh, I'll start the Brooklyn. It didn't look as bad. It was just like an empty yeah, plate. It was lame. And then the unknown was John Cornyn, so I'll bench that one. Most impressive player you've seen in person based on pure size and perceived athleticism? I think I know your answer. Sorry, can you restate the question? I really need your focus here, Kyle. Uh, most impressive player you've seen in person based on pure size and perceived athleticism. Was this the one at Big 12 Media Days? Uh, no, it was from July 14th. Okay. Somebody asked this question, but of players that we saw at Big 12 Media Days. If it's just anybody, it'd have to be Patrick Mahomes. Oh, I thought you were going to go Shohei. Well, shoot, yeah, I did see him. Uh, man. Oh, that's tough. Reread the question. For the third time, Kyle, the most impressive player you've seen in person based on pure size and perceived athleticism. Most impressive. As posed, Mahomes made the bigger impression on me. So okay. I'll stick with that. I would say Mark McGuire because I was like seven and he was just massive. If you had to score 10 points in a game of 21 against any starter from the any basketball team of the last four years, who are you choosing? The last four years? The last four years. Any starter? I was going to say Rob Lewandowski, but that's from a long time ago. Uh because I know him and he would let yeah, me score. You can make that happen. Um, man, I feel like I'm. Yeah, you're throwing somebody under the bus here. Yeah. Uh, here's what I'm going to do I'll say Norris Odiase. And if he wants to come defend himself, then he can join us on the Gambling Gauchos and tell me why I couldn't score 10 points on him. I think you would score zero. I think so too, but I want him to come on the podcast. So I'm hoping that lights a fire. Fair enough. Um, Do you not have to answer that question? I couldn't score on anyone. <laughs> Marcus Santos Silva. Is he the easy answer? People people always hammer him. I I couldn't score on him, but he had good defense. I think Bryson Williams. He's a great was, defender. Bryson Williams. No, uh, Santos Silva on the perimeter. Oh, yeah, 
I mean, if he can guard a Big 12 guard, I think he can handle me. <laughs> I Yeah, that's what I'm like. Well, Paolo Bancaro, you know, ate up Bryce Wings, but that's Paolo Bancaro. That's not – Yeah, he's seven feet tall. That's not me. So. Who's the shortest starter you've had? Mac McClung, I guess. Oh, yeah. Can you score – that might be the answer, Mac McClung. Because just because he plays lazy defense. Yeah. He's just waiting for the ball to come back. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably the right answer. If you make it taken and he has it first, you might not have the ball, though. True. No, I I wouldn't have the ball. Uh, I'm not going to answer this, but you can. Is this a good time to refinance my house? Uh, I would wait a little bit. I think interest rates have come down more. They were like record highs at the end of last year when I moved and bought this house. So lucky me, which I can't refinance for a year anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, they'll, it has to come down to some kind of normal level, like four or 5%, I would think. So I, I would refinance later, assuming you, like me, bought it like six or seven. What is the coolest roadside attraction you've ever stopped for? What's the most overrated? You don't strike me as a roadside attraction kind of guy. I was going to say, I can't remember stopping for a roadside attraction. What all qualifies as a roadside attraction? Oh, like the world's largest ball of yarn or a Jesse James Museum. You know, there's billboards on the side of the road. The world's largest ice cream cone at the Dairy Queen in Colorado or New Mexico. One of those places. I went to the Billy the Kid Museum in... uh... Fort Sumner, New Mexico. Yeah. That was pretty cool. I guess I don't have a least favorite because I don't have a long list of these things that I've stopped for. So I'll, I'll say Billy the Kid. Road trip attractions and road trip games. Big Kyle Jacobson things. Love road trip games. If you could pick any animal to ride into battle, what would it be? Something other than a horse. I would go elephant. That's a good one. I'd probably go hippo. Hippo. Same kind of thing. Maybe a rhino. Saddle me up on a hippo, baby. That's getting cut. Uh, Do you count Tyler Shuck winning? Hold on. Every time this guy asks a question, he says, question, all caps, colon. Do you count Tyler Shuck winning the Texas Bowl as a road win because they traveled to Houston, or is it a neutral site with a huge tech crowd? Bowl games are neutral site games. Yes. I don't really understand the conversation there. I'm assuming somebody was saying it was a home game because the crowd was heavy tech, but it's a neutral site game. Just by definition. If Kyle and oh my God, here's John Cornyn's brisket. I'm cutting that. Yeah. That looks disgusting. What is that? Is it raw? This is John Cornyn's brisket? Yes. It's so thick. (laughs) Yeah, what are we... What is he doing? Which I I will say, like, that there, there are three different kinds. Like, when I grill something and I'm outside looking at it, it looks different under the kitchen lights. And then it looks different when you take a picture of it to send in the cast iron bagel bites channel, but that's pretty damning. Gosh, that is unreal. 
I might have to bench Lincolns and cut that one. Oh, my God. Uh, if Kyle and Rob are facing off in pickleball, which picadors are their partners? I'll say I'm taking Beans because I know he plays pickleball, and I, I've never played, so I'm assuming he could at least teach me how to play, and he's probably pretty good at it. I'll take the uh, – I'll take the – Collegiate athlete. Oh, wait. Ryan Briggs played tennis in high school. I'll take Ryan. Me and Ryan would mess you up, man. That that would be all Super Bowl for sure. I was going to take Chase, but we'll go with Ryan. Wait, now he's correcting the middle school. <laughs> now, hold on. <laughs> uh, in honor of National Ice Cream Day, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Kyle, I know yours. What is it? Mint chocolate chip. Now you've said this before. Uh, I've I've changed my stance on this, as you know. Oh, have you? You're walking. very, o- very open minded individual who can you know change his mind when presented with new information. Bluebell, Bluebell Great Divide is the best flavor of ice cream. Just chocolate and vanilla. Yeah. Do you do you scoop together? Do you swirl it or? Yeah, it's got to be like pretty much as close to fifty fifty as I can get. Interesting. I'd go uh, Chunky Monkey. Big chocolate banana guy. Rob, I have this theory. Um, so I would never order something called Chunky Monkey. Yeah. And here's why. As you don't order, you just go get it yourself. As, as an alpha male, I cannot in good conscience say in front of other people, like, oh, I'll take one Chunky Monkey, please. But Did I but, say it like that? The big corporations, they know this, and here's where they get you. At, like, themed restaurants, they will intentionally upsell you knowing that they're, like, targeting the alpha male's masculinity. And, like, you won't order something called – so here's an example. Rudy. I was at – Fruity? Yeah. Like, I'm not ordering that. And so that's going to be the cheapest thing on the menu. And so I was, I was in New Mexico somewhere at, like, a Native American-themed hamburger joint. They have the Pocahontas burger, quarter pounder, or they have the Big Chief Indian burger, half pounder. It's more expensive, and they know that I'm not going to go, oh, I'll take the little princess burger, please. And so companies know this, and they intentionally like, do you want the big manly man steak or the little sissy girl steak? And they they charge you more to protect your masculinity if you're, if you're like that. Yeah, yeah, fragile. I am secure enough in my manhood that I can definitely order Chunky Monkey when I want. The Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity Chunky Monkey. I've never had a Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity. Is that uh, IHOP or Denny's? It's IHOP. I, I've never had it either, but I was with somebody who ordered it, and I, I did laugh at him. Yeah, grown man, Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity. That, <laughs> that, that's one thing. That's one thing. Uh, we're getting a lot of comments here. See, there are examples. Dude, this is everywhere. The Missy Kitty steak at Triple J's. Like, here's a four ounce sirloin for your toddler or your girlfriend, is what that's for. And, like, they'll give you two options it's that or like the 18 ounce Superman sirloin or something. Because they know they just want to charge you more and they know that they'll get people by doing it that way. What is, uh, I don't know why Ross is saying we suck. 
We'd probably give him many reasons to say that. Ben and Jerry's New York Super Fudge Chunk Ice Cream King. I'll have one John Wayne burger, please. Only orders ice cream there or at Hooters. Kyle is a big Rudy Tooty Fresh and Fruity guy. <laughs> Chocolate banana. Chocolate banana is the goat flavor. What is the what is the cookie two step? What is that? I will say though, Rob, counter to everything I just said, if boneless wings were listed on the menu as like toddler toddler food or like chicken nuggies, I'd be like, well, yeah, I'll still. So I, like, I also can't be shamed out of ordering something that I want, but I do know that this is a sales tactic by big food. Yes. I believe Spanky's does have the He-Man woman hater, but it's because of, um, Oh, what's the movie? Little rascals. Spanky's is a little rascals character and they have the He-Man woman hater club. Yes, isn't that the the line of thinking there? Yeah. Now he says the truth comes out. I was thinking about the boneless wings, but I wasn't going to bring it up when you were talking about being a man. No, like like I said, I I just like Ross is saying in the comments, I can't be shamed out of ordering something that I ultimately want to order. But like if I'm on the fence between the half pound burger or the quarter pound burger, especially if I'm with like if I'm at a work lunch where it's people that I don't know as well and I feel like there might be some judgment, I'm not going to order the the little princess burger. Like I, I just can't in good conscience do it in that kind of context. But if I'm with you and I'm like, yeah, I'll take the sauce nuggies, please. Like I don't care. But if you're at a work lunch, you're getting the traditional, sorry, bone in. No, I'll just, I'll like quietly, I'll like call the waiter. Be like, hey, I want the, I'll take the boneless wings, please. I'm Probably. not going to like announce that to the table though. No. Would you still eat it with a knife and fork? <laughs> yeah, I'm not an animal. <laughs> like that really makes you look at toddler if you're eating nuggets. Yeah. At work looks like, mm, yummy. All right. Uh, final thoughts? Yeah, I was reading about this guy named Escales. He was a Greek philosopher or writer or something back in like the 5th century B.C., do you know how he died? I don't actually. There was a prophecy that he would die when somebody or somebody's dwelling or home fell on him. And so to avoid this prophecy coming true, he went outside all day. And do you know what happened? Uh, a house fell on him? Close. An eagle was carrying a tortoise like through the air. And it mistook his bald head for a large rock where he could like fracture the tortoise's shell. And he dropped the tortoise right on Escalese's head and it killed him. And so the turtle's ultimate dwelling fell on this guy's head and he died. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. The prophecy reigns true. Who, yeah. pro who prophesied that? I don't know. I haven't gotten that deep into it. There's like this artwork about like this eagle dropping a tortoise on this on this dude's dome. Is this one of your Wikipedia late night things? Yeah, dude. I I'll tell you. I'll I'll share it with the Discord. But it was like one article that had a list of strange, like notably historical strange deaths. There's all kinds of stuff in there, dude. It's it's crazy. It's funny. I I also read a story about a a tortoise this week. Are you familiar with B.J. Novak? Yeah wrote the office a lot of it and that movie we saw last summer yeah what was that called revenge vengeance vengeance yeah 
he uh we need to do another movie night by the way Is there any uh west texas movies coming out barbie <laughs> uh he wrote a, a a fictional telling a retelling of the fable the tortoise and the hare where the hare comes back for revenge and runs a second race against the tortoise he trains and works hard and then dusts him by miles that doesn't sound like a compelling story to me. It's hilarious. It's a it's a funny funny story. Like the faster animal a, wins. It's a part of a, a set of short stories he wrote and put out in a book. One of my favorites. All right, there you go. That's all we have. That's all we have. Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed, baby. Love y'all.